Bekutu Sichas Chelik Tezvav Parsha Vayishlach Sichahei. This at the end of the parsha it lists the kings of Edom. Einim from the Melachim, one of those kings that are mentioned, Hashem Molchu Ba'eretz Edom that ruled in the land of Edom Lefnei Meloch Melech LeBnei Yisrael before. There was a king, kings amongst the Jewish people. In other words, starting with Shaul, there were kings by the Jews. But this was before that. Is, so one of those kings is Yoivav ben Zorach mi Batsra. Yoivav, the son of Zorach, who came from Batsra. Shelter Rashi of the Verter. So Rashi quotes these words and his Mepharshin explains. Batsra ma'orim ma'yavhi. Batsra is one of the cities of Ma'yav. Shenemer, as it says in the Pasuk, Valkyrios. In that Pasuk it talks about the cities of Mayav and it says, it mentions Batsra as one of them. Because that city provided, the, the cities of Mayav provided a king for Edom, that's why Mayav will also be punished along with Edom when the time comes for Edom to be punished. As it says, because Hashem will also take revenge, do, do his uh, punishment against Batsra. That's the Rashi. What, why, is it, why does it make a difference in, to understand the Pshat of the Pasuk that this king came from Batsra, that this was from Mayav? Why do we need to know that? So the uh, some of the commentaries explain as the mit faremfed Rashi for us the pasuk dav bechlal the tzelim from vanateres is mi botsra. Rashi is trying to explain why does the pasuk need to tell us that this king came from botsra. As thus is kedetz medizayin and he answers that this is in order to tell us shasida botsra lil kaisemayim that botsra mayav will eventually be punished together with Edom the farvas emida melech leEdom because that's where the king of Edom came from and therefore they're going to be included Maya will also be included in the punishment of Edom so therefore we need to understand the connection between um, Maya being punished along with Edom and it is because of this possibly because that king came from Batra but this explanation itself needs uh, explanation this vile because Number one, how gufakasha? That in itself is a question. Why do we need to know that that Moyev is going to be punished along with Edom in this pasuk? What's difficult to understand about this pasuk that we need to know that Moyev is going to be punished together with Edom? Which now we need to know that Bot that uh, Botsra is from Moyev and that this king of Edom came from Moyev. But why do we need to know the whole thing? especially that we're not talking about the time it, it, the, the time when Eden will be punished is in the future when Mashiach comes so how is it important in this pasig in the, this discussion about that number two we have to understand the Ike, this is the main question by every single one of the listed kings of Eden Save for one, except for one, is the pasuk mitzayim the mokam By each one of them, it tells us where the king came from. When I've kain einim fundi funzeish teltzach rashi nishtop, and nowhere in the other ones does Rashi tell us 
anything about the city from where he came or why it tells us and so on. The Pasuk tells us about each king where he came from except for one. Rashi doesn't mention anything at all about the city where he came from. Unachmer, even more, Ban Letzten Melech in the Pasuk, by the last listed king in the Pasuk, Meisif Nishnar Vashem Iripo, the Torah adds even more information, not just that the name of the city was Po, nor Oich Vashem Ishtem Meitabel, but it also tells us the name of his wife, that his wife's name was Meitabel, and the Tzu Oich Noch Pratim, and it tells us even more about his wife, not just what his wife's name was, but also what her mother's name, and what her mother's name, Bas Matred, Bas Meizov, on Rashi Bavorant Nish, Fabos, Medaf Hob Mazoifel Simonim Afeim Melech, and Rashi doesn't tell us why do we need to know about this king? What, where he came from? What his mother's name was? What uh, his wife's name and her, her mother or father, whatever the names are. Zoknor, the Taich for Meizov, the only thing he does is explain what the word Meizov means. He tells us that Meizov means uh, something more than just a name. But otherwise, he doesn't ask the question, why all this information? Is from them movements, and this we can understand. As al derech apshat is dos middle chachilu king kashenish. That in pshat, when looking at it from the lens of pshat, there's no question at all why the name of the city is mentioned. But derech hakozav it's amazing. I'm proud of it. Because the pasuk does add information about certain things. Hein favosh teltzach Rashi ab dafke mibatzra. So why does Rashi find it necessary to explain specifically about batzra? so much information about it that it's from Moyev and that's why they're going to be punished and so on so we'll understand this by first explaining what the Pasuk says where it talks about the, um, the kingdom or the greatness of the two nations of the Jewish people and of Edom by Esau and, and Yaakov it said that um, Rivka was told, Shnei goyim bebitnech, there are two nations which are in your womb. And there will, two, will be two nations that will separate from your, that when you give birth, and one, will, one nation will, will over, they will struggle with each other, and one will go up and one will go down. And the, the older one will be in service, will be a servant to the younger one. That's what Rivka was told. Over there, Rashi explains on the words that one will overpower the other. They will not be equal in greatness. By equal I mean at the same time, that they won't have greatness at the same time. When this one will be up, the other one will be down, and vice versa. But then, when it comes to the end of the pasuk, that the older one will be in, will be a servant to the younger one. Is Rashi Ganish Mefarish over there? It doesn't explain it all, and is Nishmumah. So then we have to understand. Since he already said that when one is up, the other one is down. So then, what is what does it mean when the Pasik says without unconditionally, just simply states the older one will always be the servant to the younger one. And it doesn't say sometimes he'll be the servant to the older one. 
to the younger one. Because from them is mashma, this is an Indian tmidi. From this it would seem that this is an, an ongoing thing. This will always be that way. The older one is always a servant to the younger one. Meaning Esav is always a servant to Yaakov. In Alitzaiten, and this is true for all times, Unisht Ab hanging in Atanayin, it doesn't depend on any conditions. Although the Medrash, as he continues, the Medrash Zok Take Evdem, that the Medrash does say about this, Zokha Yavid Yavid, that if the, uh, if the Yidin, if Yaakov will be Zaycha, then Esau will serve him. But if not, then we'll not, we're not Zaycha to that. Aber Rashi brings us in Shura, but Rashi doesn't make, say this condition, doesn't talk about there are times when the Yidin will, uh, the Esau will be in service to Yaakov. As, uh, but there are times when he will not. Rashi doesn't say that. Rashi simply states, Esav will be a servant to Yaakov. So why doesn't he make that difference? And more importantly, how does that fit with what it says earlier in the Pasuk, when one is up, the other is down? Which means, and vice versa. So in other words, there is a time when one, when Yaakov can be down, and Esav will be up. So, but the, how does that fit with the second part of the Pasuk? Is the beer but that explanation is if Shnei Goyim Bebitneich is Rashi Mefarish Geyim Ksiv on the words that say there are two nations in your womb Rashi says Geyim Ksiv because the word Goyim which is usually spelled Gimel Vav Yud Mem which means nations over here it's spelled Gimel Yud Yud Mem so Rashi says what this means is that there there will be two great leaders. Geim means two great leaders. Elu Antoninus Verebi, and this refers to Antoninus and Rebbe. Antoninus was the leader of Rome, Esau, and Rebbe was the leader of the Jewish people, Yaakov. And then when it comes to two nations, Rashi says, Lu'um means a kingdom, a nation. In other words, that the words in the Pasuk Shnei Goyim, to which we normally would have translated as two nations, and Lu'umim is also nations, that would be a repetition. The Pasuk is simply repeating the same idea in different words. It's in a poetic, uh, in poetic verse, speaking, you know, using different words to describe the same thing. But that's not what it means here, says Rashi. Nor Over here it means two separate things. Shnei goyim bebitneich is the medube vegn Yaakov Esav. That shnei goyim means two people. It's referring to two people in the first generation. It means Yaakov and Esav. And then later their descendants, it refers also to Rebbe and Antoninus. In other words, individuals of the Jewish and the Roman nations. And then when it gets to two nations, it talks about Yaakov and Esau as they are represented by the nations which came from them. So one is talking about individuals, one is talking about the nation as a whole. Lloyd them is moving. According to this, we can now understand that the, the later when the Pasuk moves to the next step, that one nation will struggle and one will go up, one will go down, and the older one will serve the younger one, is also 
talking about the two earlier separate ideas, which is individuals and nations. These two words, these two ideas, are also following the same separate ideas, people and nations. When it talks about one nation will go up and one will go down, it's talking about the nations, not the people, but the nations. When in them is to say that over there you have indeed that one is up and one is down, and sometimes Yaakov is up and sometimes Esav is up. But when it talks about the older one will be a servant to the younger one. Over there it's talking about individuals. Yaakov as expressed in individual people and Esav as expressed in individual people. And in them is And in this regard, the Esav is always in service to Yaakov. Over there there is no ups and downs. Over there Yaakov is always dominant. When it talks about individuals, when it talks about nations, it can go up and go down. And that's what the Rashi is saying. When it describes it's sometimes ups and sometimes down. When it talks about individuals, there it's always We find the same thing in the brachas that Yitzchak gave to Yaakov. That he bench Yaakov to be the master over his brother. And he doesn't give any conditions, just simply states, you will be the master over your brother. He didn't say that this is, there is a certain time period uh, and then things will change. He doesn't say that. He says, you will always be the master of your brother. And it's for this reason that Yitzchak later told Esav, when Esav came and said, do you not have any bracha for me too? So he said, what value, what purpose, what's the purpose of giving you a bracha that you should have lots of, uh, you know, give you a blessing of, of, of uh, you know, you should be rich and wealthy and so on. What's the point? If you will acquire assets, it belongs to him anyway, to your brother anyway. Because whatever the slave owns, the master really owns. And since you will always be a servant to your brother, so whatever you have is his anyway. So what's the point of giving you a bracha? The only thing that, the, that Yitzchak did say to Esau is that when you will be aggrieved, in other words, they will do something against you, meaning, when the Yidin will violate the Torah, then you will be successful in throwing off the yoke, off the, the yoke of, uh, of the Yidin. What does that mean to say? That even in such a time when the Yidin will rebel against the Torah, even then you won't have the, the blessings. In other words, nothing belongs to you. Because even then you will still remain a slave to Yaakov. The only difference will be, in essence, you still remain a slave, but you will be able to successfully avoid having to work for him. 
but in who you are, you still are his slave. So whatever you own, he still owns. Does he have the ability to make you work? No. He lost control of you temporarily because he rebelled against the Torah. But in essence, you're still his slave. In other words, on an individual basis, Esav is always a slave to Yaakov. When we talk about nations, nations are able to, you know, there's ups and downs for nations. And even when, at that time when Yitzchak said, there will come a time when the Yidin will rebel against the Torah, and therefore you will successfully be able to get out from under his thumb, that's only an actual practical uh, behavior. But in essence, you still remain his slave. But then we have to understand what the Pasuk says. These are the kings that reigned in the land of Eden. Before there were kings for the Jewish people. Because the Torah is here describing what, how it is, what it means that one nation, when one is up, one is down. So he's saying that comes in as the When were Edom able to have kings, meaning that they had dominance and rulership and they had an organized community with a king and so on? When did that happen? Before the Yidden had their kings. But then when the Yidden had their kings, is Bitl Malchus the kingdom of Esau was no longer, that was over. The kings, the Yidin have kings, the, uh, the dominance of Esau is over. So that's the Torah describing how So since the, the, the older one will always be in service to the younger one, and that what Yitzchak said that you will be the master over your brother he said to Yaakov is an Indian to me is something which is constant that doesn't change at least as far as individuals is concerned even in the time when the Yidin will rebel and therefore Esau will successfully get out from under his thumb so how is it that the Esav was able to have kings, which means that they had a certain dominance. Kings mean they had an organized uh, country with kings and they dominated. So how could they have kings and domination? Um, just like the Yidin had kings in their time, when their time came. But you don't see anywhere that there should be the, uh, the reality that Yaakov is the master over Esau. Esau has kings. Yaakov doesn't have kings. So at that time it would seem that Esau is dominant. In Alazmanim, yeah, where, where we know that uh, Yaakov is supposed to be dominant always, as we said before, that even when the Yidden rebel is Norv Parakta Uloi, the only thing that Esau will be successful is to get out from his actual, from his the control of the Yidden. That only means that the Yidden will not able to be enslave Esau. But that doesn't mean that Esau can be a king and a master and a 
So how is it that the Torah tells us that Esav had kings? How does that fit with saying that Yaakov is always dominant on a personal level? Is the beer in them? So the explanation is the parsha leim bavorant says durch zugeben yederim from the malche edim. The parsha explains this question, this anomaly, by telling us about each one of the kings. What does it tell us about the kings? The mokem or the shtot from vanet eshtamt. In every case of the kings, it tells us, except for one, it tells us where the king came from, which city he came from. Because the ale eretz and anishvan eretz edim. Every single place that the Torah mentions from where the kings of Eden came are not cities that belong to Eden. The myth is the Torah Madgish. What is the Torah trying to tell us with that? As the Malche Eden from that the kings of Eden were not from the kings that ruled over Eden were not from the family of Esav. They came from other cities, from other nations. Nor from andere medinus and memel from andere umus. They came from other countries and therefore from other nations. That's what the Torah is telling us. As a nation, Edom is able to become dominant. But as a, as people, they're never able to be dominant. Where did the kings come from? From other nations. Esav is not able to produce masters, leaders, kings. That doesn't come from Esav. So that's a very nice explanation, Dalit. I've them beer, but for this explanation is Abadah, There's one question which seems to undermine this explanation, and that is when we talk about Yoivav ben Zorach from Batsra. Over there it seems that the king of King Yoivav was from the people, was from the nation of Esav. Why does it seem that way? Because Zorach is one of the one of the heads of the families of Esav. And this was Yoiv of Ben Zorach, so it seems like he came from Esav. He's the descendant of Esav itself, and he became a king. Number two, a number of places in the Nevi'im, in the prophets, Vert, the city Botsra is mentioned in connection to cities in Edom. Because the fun is mashma, from this it would seem, as Botsra is a shtot in Eretz Edom, that Botsra is a city in the place in the in the kingdom of Edom. So for two reasons, it seems that the king Yoivov was both from the family of Esav, and he came from a city which was in the countries that belonged to Esav. So here is a king that came from the family of Esav. How does that fit with the explanation? And that's why Rashi has to tell us, Don't make the mistake of thinking that Botsra is actually a city in Edom's countries, but it's a, pla- it's, a comes- it's a place in Mayav. And brings proof of this, from that pasuk which says Kriyas and Botsar was the Allah Dort Oizgerechen to Shted Zainif and Eretz Moyev that all these cities mentioned in those psukim are cities in Moyev when we the pasuk is that Messiah and in fact the pasuk concludes there Val Kol Orei Eretz Moyev and all the cities of the land of Moyev so we see clearly that the word the city of Botsar was from the land of Moyev not from the land of Edek 
And that's also proof as Yoiva ben Zarech is nish from the Bnei Esav, that Yoiva is not from the family of Esav. Because he comes from Batra, which was a city in Moyav, so he also must be from the people of Moyav. It only seemed just the fact that his father was Zorach doesn't mean he was the Zorach from this family of Esav. It could lead us to believe that way, but in fact, because he came from Batra, was in Moyav, so therefore, obviously, he's not the same Zorach. It's a different Zorach, it's a Moyavite Zorach, and that's who Yoivav is. Uh, from the city of Moyev, from the cities of Moyev. Uh, but we said before that we find in a number of places in the Vim that Botsra is associated with Edom. Is Rashi that Rashi explains as he continues. And because Moyev. Um, Gave uh, provided a city for uh, sorry a king for the countries of Edom for the nation of Edom. That's why Moyav is also included into the punishments that Hashem describes for Edom. On the deliverance for this reason is the is the in the Ertevuasrechtvegendemperonizotaybishavetbrenginafedem in those places where the psukim talk about the punishment that Hashem will exact on Edom. Over there, it mentions also Batra in those, in talking about the cities that will be punished by Hashem. Talking about Edom, it mentions Batra too, which may have led you to think that this was part of Edom. So he says, no, it's not part of Edom. It's mentioned over there only because we're talking about punishing Edom. Batra gets lumped in with that. But Batra is really from Moyev. And that's why Rashi follows up with that second explanation. Hey, Alpia now, according to this, has that because it provided a king for Edom, that's why it will be punished and mentioned together with the punishments of Edom. So according to this, Rashi is not simply trying to tell us about Batra and Edom, what the connection is. It is only trying to explain why in a number of places in Tanakh Batsra is mentioned in connection with Edom and that it only means that they too will be punished along with Edom. They're from the countries of Moyev. While Asida Lilkisimam, and the reason is only because they'll be punished alongside them. Vet Farem in the Pirish Rashi that answers according to this explanation, it now explains another question about Rashi. What is that? In the Raya as Botsra Ma'ara Edom he in his proof that Botsra is from the cities of Moya, bringt Rashi the Verta from Posak Val Kriyat Val Botsra. Rashi says from uh, from the Pasik and Kriyas and Batsra, Tsugevendik Vagaimer adding the word Vagaimer and so on. In other words, look further in the Pasik. There's something for you to look up in the Pasik. One in the Tsvaita Raya, then when it comes to the second proof as a Siddhilkis in Moem, that Batsra will be punished together with Edoim, even though it's from the cities of Moyev. Brengter nor diverter Batsra, all he says is there is Hashem will lead a slaughter in Batsra. On Avagaymer, and it doesn't add Vagaymer. In other words, all that's relevant is up to here. There's no need to look further in the Pasuk in regards to this issue. 
And it would seem that it should be the exact opposite of the way Rashi puts it. So leave the rayas, or he in order to bring the proof that Botsra is from the cities of Moivzan, it's enough to say Kriyas and Bratsra, which are, in other words, that Botsra is lumped in with Kriyas and the other names of the cities of uh, Moiv. As Kishem, the Kriyas is from the Arim Moiv, just like Kriyas is from the cities of Moiv. Zayach is Botsra. So also is Botsra from the cities of Moiv. That would be enough to convince us that Botsra is from the cities of Moiv. On the Hemshra Pasuk, and that which the Pasuk continues, Valkol Ori Eretz Moyev, as well as all the other cities of Moyev, Vasrashi is Meramaz Mizvegaimer, which is what he is sending you to see when he writes Vegaimer and so on, is not a Sof in the Raya that only adds to the Raya. It's enough of a proof that Kriyas is from Moyev, so Batsra is also from Moyev. The fact that the Pasuk later adds, as well as all the other cities of Moab, of course, strengthens the Raya, but it's not essential to the proof, because it's enough that Batsra was mentioned with the other cities of Moab, with the names of the other cities. So therefore, why does Rashi say Vagoymer? Why do you have to look further in the Pasuk? Dakegna, on the other hand, the Raya's Batsra is Asida Lucas in Moab. The proof that Rashi tries to bring that Botsra will be punished together with Maya, with Edom, Suzamim with Edom, is nish from the vertex is ever Hashem, but Botsra alone is not from the words because Hashem will enact a slaughter in Botsra, who Edom vertnish the which doesn't talk at all about Edom. So the fact that Hashem will punish Botsra, what does that mean? How does that prove that it's uh, alongside Edom? Nor from Hemshech, that you see only from the continuation of that pasuk, Ungoimer. Where it con- what the words con- that continue there are, and there will be a great slaughter in the land of Edom. So, in other words, now you see from that you see that the real primary uh, target is Edom, and Botsra will also be included in that slaughter. So, from this you see now you see that Botsra will be punished alongside Edom. And by Over here, Rashi doesn't say Vagaymer and look at the rest of the Pasuk, which tells you that it's a punishment against Edom and the Batsra is only being included in that punishment. So why does he do the opposite? Why does he say Vagaymer at the beginning and not at the end when he should have done the opposite? in them, and therefore the explanation for this could be. From that pasuk, the continuation, where it says there will be a slaughter of Hashem and Botsra and a great slaughter in Edom. From there, it would seem to that pasuk seems to undermine Rashi's explanation. As Rashi's is positing that Botsra is really from Moyav and is only mentioned alongside Edom in order to, because they're being lumped together in the punishment of Edom. That's what Rashi's theory is. So here, this Pasuk might be, you know, express an opposite idea. Because it makes no sense that when you're describing a punishment against Edom, and that alongside that will also be a punishment against Botsra, 
for some reason, which Rashi says, because they provided a king for Edom. So what, what sense does it make that first you mention the secondary punishment, which is Basra. And the Pasuk, first he talks about a slaughter against Basra. Basra is only being punished because it's part of Edom, you know, alongside Edom. So then it would have made sense that first you talk about the punishment against Edom. And then you mention, and Basra also will be punished. Here the Pasuk says, Basra will be punished. And then it talks about the great slaughter of Edom. So that seems to undermine Rashi's theory. Inside Zevach Hashem Bebatzer and the Nochmai says I magnet Ike Vesiba. How does it make sense that first you mention that Hashem will lead a slaughter against Batzer and afterwards to add the main thing which is Vetevagol Beedaim? That seems to undermine what Rashi said. Meken Farenfer and although this can be answered, at least we could force this answer. And this is actually what we're going to have to, in the end, this is going to be the answer in the way Rashi sees this matter. And the answer is, as the Vav from the Tevach Godel is Nishkaim Vav Amosiv, that the letter Vitevach and A, which normally is translated as and a great slaughter against Edom, which usually the Vav means that it adds to what was said before. There will be a slaughter against Batra and a great slaughter against Edom. So over here it doesn't mean that. Because that leaves the big question of why does Edom become secondary to Batra? So the, to answer that, we have to say that nor as Vov Hamafsik, that the the letter Vov over here is meant to separate. It's like a a period between the Zevach against Botsra and the Zevach against Edom, and that it's not that it follows after Botsra. It's two separate things. There will be a slaughter against Botsra. Another thing that he says is there will be a slaughter against Edom. Not that Edom is being dragged into Botsra's slaughter. It's unrelated. It's two separate discussions. There's a period in between. That's what the Vav acts as a period. So that somewhat mitigates the big question of why the secondary thing comes first and the, and the main thing gets dragged in as an and, as well as. It's not an as well as. It's two separate things being discussed. It's not a terrific answer. It's not a perfect answer because you could have reversed that too. But at least it, it leaves somewhat of a, a better understanding of it. But since, so Rashi is going to have to use this answer. In the end, he has to use that answer. But because the end of that Pasuk leaves this great question, which now you have to figure out an answer which is not such a great answer, but Rashi has to settle for that answer. So therefore, that's why Rashi sees no need to point you in that direction, to leave you with a great question, which only has a semi-answer. So he doesn't, he doesn't bring up the second part of the Pasuk. It's enough that he mentions that there will be a slaughter against Ed, uh, Batra in the context of talking about the slaughter against Edom, and he doesn't have to point out that Edom comes after Batra, which leaves the question, so he leaves it out. He doesn't, end, he doesn't write Vagoyman. That explains that. So that explains why Rashi doesn't save a Gomer here, although earlier he does save a Gomer, which is only in order to emphasize the answer 
emphasize the proof, sorry, emphasize the proof that it is from the cities of Mayav. Vav, if an Indian now, on this matter, as late Rashi is that in what this is going back to say is a very important uh, concept that Rashi bring you know sort of uh, emphasizes that in the bracha v'rav that is an ongoing thing which is unconditional will always be will always happen. But that idea, in the beginning of the Seder, there is a question to this. Over there it tells the story. That Yaakov sent messengers to Esav. This is what you should say to my master Esav. This is what your servant Yaakov said. And then he repeats again to tell my master that I want to find favor in your eyes. Biz and it goes on and as it tells us a, fur, a little further in the said as Yaakov had to send up gift to Esau and a very extensive gift. And that he bowed down to Esau seven times. And that he referred to him a number of times as my master and that he referred to himself as your servant talking to Esav and all this flies in the face of what Rivka was told that the older one will always be a servant to the younger one and here Yaakov keeps calling him the master, the master, the master I'm your servant, I'm your slave he bows down to him seven times how does that go with Understanding that Barav Yavet Soir is an ongoing, everlasting thing. In Derech Abshat, is Nishkin Kashe. When looking at the simple understanding, the direct meaning of the Psukim, it doesn't really, it's not such a great question. Because in Yaakov's mind, the way Yaakov sees things, he said, maybe I became tainted, soiled by sin. Even because of that reason that Yaakov was afraid maybe I committed a sin which no longer uh, I no longer deserve Hashem's blessing. And this was about a blessing that he got directly from Hashem, an assurance. Hashem promised him that I will be with you. You said to me, I will do good with you. Hashem said to Yaakov, I will do good with you. And yet Yaakov was afraid, and he questioned, he said, maybe I don't deserve Hashem's favor anymore. Maybe I don't deserve that blessing anymore. That's why he was afraid. So for sure he could have been afraid. That perhaps also the something which was only a prophecy that he received. Not that Hashem said to him directly. It was a prophecy that was said through Shem. That was said to his mother from Shem, who was the prophet. Hashem told Shem. Hashem, the, the, the creator, said, Baruch Hu said to Shem, the Shem ben Noyach, that tell Rivka that the older one will serve the younger one. And Rivka told that, must have told that to Yaakov as well. So he heard it third hand. 
from a, a prophecy that Shem had from a, that the name Shem, the, the guy Shem had from a God. So therefore, there, if he was afraid that the sin could have undermined a direct assurance that he got directly from Hashem, certainly he could have been worried that his sins would now also nullify that which his mother had been told. And therefore that he wasn't going to be the master anymore. So therefore, all Pipshudosh Mikra, it's not such a big question. As is up a fartnish glatik, but it still leaves a, it's, it seems seems difficult to understand since the prophecy and the bracha that Yitzchak said you will be the master of your brothers was never made conditional upon was not that uh, you know if, if Yaakov behaves then he will be the master but if he doesn't behave then you're the master there was never such a condition in Yitzchak's bracha to Yaakov because even when the Yidin violate the Torah, the only thing that Asa will have was that he will be able to cast off the yoke of their slavery, but not that he will no longer be a slave, not that he will become the master. As we mentioned before, then Yaakov shouldn't have been afraid. There is no condition that says that only if he behaves properly is he the master. So why would he do something? Why would he actually do an actual uh, thing? Which goes against the exact opposite of what he was blessed, that he is the master. And now he, he behaves as the slave. Esav is the master I am your servant he bows down to him sends him gifts and he refers to Esav as the master and to him as his slave how does that how did Yaakov do that in Medrash it's true that the Medrash says as and because Yaakov sent messengers to Esav with that message when him Girufna Doini and referred to him as his master, is Yaakov Nanishkavar, and therefore Yaakov did was punished for this. But it was mentioned many times, since the Ovis, the patriarchs of Ramitz and Yaakov, were a vehicle to Hashem's will. They never did anything of their own. They only expressed Hashem's will every single day of their lives. That's all they did. They never strayed from that. They only expressed what Hashem wanted. So it's understood that there is not, it's not possible to say that they did something bad. And therefore, you can't say that they committed a sin either. And the fact that a number, some things would appear to be sinful, with quotation marks, is this nish in Pashtun Zin from Chet, it's not in the literal sense of a sin. It just means that in, on that high level or whatever, it's a, they, they are judged even for the most minor uh, grievances. As we see it in this matter itself, and even though Yaakov was indeed punished, as the matter says, for doing what he did, as our sages tell us, we learn from this behavior itself. 
the Gemara learns a lesson from what Yaakov did. That because, even though Yaakov is dominant and he has nothing to be afraid of, Esau, but the Gemara learns from this, from this we see that you have to cater to a Russia. You have to sometimes suck up to a Russia in this world. That's the world we live in. The Rishayim have a certain place in this world and therefore you have to sometimes bite the bullet and you have to you know, treat them with respect even though they don't deserve it. What do we learn that from? From the fact that Yaakov treated Esau that way. So we see that even though in the end the Eivishtes considered that to be oh, he, he, he did too much but we learn a lesson from this. In other words, this is the right way to behave. That's what the Gemara concludes. That's the way that you have to do it sometimes. So the question remains, why if a Yaakov is always dominant, is always true, so then why did, Esau, why did Yaakov refer to Esau so many times as a master and so on? Zayin, in Chesidus Retzer, Chesidus explains, as Besharshi is Esav Hechaf and Yaakov, that in the source from where Esav's soul comes, his source is even higher than Yaakov's source. Esav comes from Olam from the world of chaos, where the, the energy, the godly energy there is so unlimited, that's why it caused chaos, it caused a breakdown. Yaakov comes from the world of Tikkun, where things are already orderly, and each each godly energy is contained in a proper vessel and that's why it has a lasting power it doesn't break down, it doesn't explode so Esau's source is higher than Yaakov and that's why in birth Esau came first because it comes from a higher source and when Yaakov is able to purify and elevate refine Esau is in Yaakov Meir on Yaakov benefits from that source of Esav. That's why Yaakov has such a great interest in refining Esav because then he benefits from the source of Esav. Something that Yaakov doesn't have on his own. He needs to go through Esav in order to reach it. As he said, which is higher than the source of Yaakov and the mit that's why it, it, that explains why Yaakov sent messengers ahead of him which also means beyond him it's something that went higher than Yaakov it was he sent messengers to something which is ahead of him something that is higher than him and he said this is, what, this is what you should tell my master this is what your servant Yaakov said the same with the gifts that Yaakov what's the reason that he did all this when he was addressing him as a master he was addressing not Esav as he is in this world he was addressing the source the root source of Esav's neshama that's the master that's on a higher level and I am a servant to that level not to the Esav that I see in front of me because that is indeed higher than Yaakov so that's how it's explained but since as the Medr says that by addressing Esav as a master and himself as a servant he lowered himself in front of Esav with the Esav that lives on this world not the Esav that's in the world of Atsilus or beyond 
it's the ace of right here. And he lowered himself in front of him. He's the Fahnenish Governor, and that's why he was punished for that. Darf Minzong, so we have to say, as Oyg Der Pirush, as Yaakov had geschickt, the Malacha Medoyer, and the Ace of Indolomato, he's always got no help in him in Sinyonim. So therefore, we have to say that Yaakov, of course, understands these things as well, and which is the reason that he was punished for it. Uh, if he wouldn't, if if it was all about what's going on in Atzilus or in the higher levels, then why would he be punished? It's because he did it down here and he lowered himself down here. But Yaakov did do it. So that means that Yaakov had a reason for doing it and there was a good reason for doing it. At least as we understand these things in their internal, uh, in Pnimis Inyonim, which means in the inner dimension, on a higher level, in the way we understand the Shamas and so on. Ches is the beer in them. So the explanation is, in the way that we can overpower evil and how we can elevate evil, we can uh, refine it and elevate it, there are two approaches to it. One way to do it is to reveal a great light. The one that, reve- that is doing the work of refining he shines a great spiritual godly light onto the subject that he is trying to refine a very holy light onto it and because there is this great bright godly light shining the evil that is contained within the one the subject that he's trying to refine becomes is fades to the background and that's what releases the uh, godly en- energies which are contained in that subject because the light is pushed, uh, the darkness is pushed away, pushed aside as a result of the great light. So the godliness that was, that's within it is released and allowed to go back to where it should be. That's one way. Atzveiter Eifen is, another approach is, Bederech Eslapshus, getting involved in, with the subject that you're trying to elevate. The Mevarer, Losecharap, Lomokam Eusvarer, the one doing the refining, gets, goes down into the place of the subject that he's trying to elevate. Unochman, and even more, as of Eslapish, Bilevushiyan, not only does he go down there, but he also, Integrates into the reality of the one that he's trying to elevate. And by working with him and uh, in his own reality, in that lower reality, is a He's able to transform the, the whatever bad there is into good. He's able to transform it and change it. Each one of these approaches has a certain quality which the other one doesn't have, the other approach doesn't have. And as far as the one doing the refinement, there is a, a greater quality, There's a, the better way is the first approach, as far as the, the uh, one doing the refinement. In order to get the job done, he doesn't have to lower himself to the level of the subject that he's trying to elevate. Because 
because the way he, that he does it is that he remains up here and he shines this great light down on the subject which causes the subject to release the godly energy that's within it so he never has to go down and get dirty but in the second way is he doesn't say it etc when somebody wrestles with a dirty person you're going to get dirtied as well the person doing the one doing the refinement has to go down to the dirty place and therefore is that lowers him as well he gets lowered into that place and that sometimes can cause the one doing the the refinement to also be lowered somewhat it causes him to lose some of his status and stature of being removed wholly on a higher level you're no longer on a higher level you're now sort of on an equal level equal standing so that's why the first method is better for the one doing the refinement but as far as the one being elevated the subject that's being elevated is the opposite is true in Esh, Neifen in the first way, Vibald, as the Birukumt Nor, Durdem Gili, since the only thing that happens to the, to the subject is, it comes from, the whole thing that happens is because a great light was shined upon him. But it never goes down to the level of the one being refined. Not, nothing happens in his own existence, nothing changed within him. It's just that you get overwhelmed by something foreign to you, the great godly light which is foreign to you, you get overwhelmed, so you lose your own uh, you know, you lose yourself and you release the Kedusha but then when that recedes, nothing is left for you, you didn't change at all so the whole refinement happens because everything about the subject is rejected except for the little bit of good that is found within him, which is released, and it goes back to where it needs to go. But the subject himself was only pushed aside, was never elevated. But when you, when you do it in the second method, that the one doing the refinement gets down, and works, and uh, is involved with the subject, on the level of the subject, is the mevarimet, <clears throat> in the he gets involved with the subject in the level of the subject so therefore the subject itself becomes refined that he transforms the subject that the subject should no longer be a concealment of godliness the, the subject allows for holiness and godliness. Not that you have to push away the subject in order to allow for godliness. The subject becomes now more in tune with godliness and therefore allows for it. That's the quality that happens for the subject in the second method. But on the other hand, that means that the, the one doing the refinement will have to go down and get dirty. Test. The tachlis hakavana in the avoda from Torah mitzvah is doch. What is the ultimate purpose of Torah and Mitzvahs? Is as is well known, the Torah was given in order to create peace on earth. 
the teichem v'sholom amiti, and what is the meaning of peace? As the menaget vetnis hapech umach sholom mitem, the real meaning of peace is that the one that was your opposition now becomes your ally. That's what real peace means. Now that is the zvinigets v'sholom v'elam. The same is true for making peace in the world, meaning their oylam is a helam of In its own nature, the world is a concealment of godliness, as is well known, expressed by the word oilam, which means to conceal. You have to make peace in the world, meaning that the, the uh, opposition, the world, which is the opposition to God, should no longer be opposition, should become an ally to godliness. And therefore, just as Torah had to travel down from its exalted level in within God, within Hashem, and it came down to this world, which is, of course, a great demotion for Torah. It's a very low level for Torah, but it came down. The Torah now got involved with things which is what's called the tree of good and bad, in other words, the whole world is a mixture of good and bad, and the Torah has to work within that. And the reason for this is because through the Torah getting involved in the dirty world, it's able to refine out the goodness from the evil to separate the two, and therefore the world itself is able to produce good as well. <coughs> and this is expressed even in the words of the prophet which says, that, stating in the name of Hashem my, my clothing became soiled Hashem's clothing so to speak becomes soiled that's what it takes in order that the word which means on the simple level means became soiled but the word Egalti could also mean Geula, brought about Geula. So the reason that Hashem allows His clothing to be soiled is so that it can lead to Geula, Loshin Geula, the Bidra Klippa, which means to separate out the Klippa from the goodness, as the Pasuk says, who comes forth from Edom, from Batsra. And it talks about Hashem uh, leading a, a battle and so on until his until it ends with his my own clothing became soiled. In order to be able to bring about this refinement, it le- it does also cause that the the clothing the the tzaddik and so on the person doing it becomes soiled. That is what happens even talking about the Shechina itself, that has to go down to Klippa, which leaves soil on the Shechina, so to speak, as expressed by this Pasuk. Which are similar to their Creator, that sometimes a Tzaddik has to go down from his level, from his exalted level. And have to get involved in the reality of the one that he's trying to elevate. Sometimes this also happens in such a way that the tzaddik needs some form of correction, repair, 
it needs somewhat of a repair for the tzaddik himself for this having gone down to that lowly level. And all this is in pursuit of what is the ultimate purpose of creation to create peace in the world that the world should also become elevated. And the only way to do that is to go down to the level of the world. And that's also the reason why Yaakov lowered himself to Esav. Not only to the source of Esav, which is on a higher level than Yaakov, nor that Yaakov even lowered himself to Esav as he is down here in this world. Even though the promise was and the, the true nature of things is that the, the Esav has to serve Yaakov the reason is the Shlemus Abiruf and Esav is because the only way the true way that one can elevate and refine Esav is when Esav the only way to bring this about to truly elevate Esav is to bring Esav to understand that he is a servant to Yaakov he should admit it in order to accomplish that, he had to do it, not only that Yaakov shines this great holy light onto Esau, and Esau loses himself, and therefore, you know, gives up everything. That is not enough, because then Esau, after it's all over, Esau remains Esau. Nor, but also what he had to do is the Islam is Yaakov had to go about it by getting involved and tangling with Esav on his in his reality. Which of course lowers Yaakov to the level of Esav, and it even leads to Yaakov having to declare that I am your servant and you are the master. And therefore, this leaves a certain deficiency even in Yaakov, as we said before. In them was Yaakov at Sechmashful given for Esav, and in that expressed itself in the fact that Yaakov lowered himself before Esav, and Davke Dukdem had to give field, as Esav Zolzogn, Yehi Lecha Shelecha, and only through that was he eventually able to bring Esav around to say, You should have what you have, which Rashi says, Kan This is where Esav admitted, he finally acknowledged that you should have what you have means you deserve the brachas that Yitzchak gave you that's where Esau finally acknowledged that Yaakov is the one that receives the brachas so that happened because Yaakov worked with the Esau so Esau finally acknowledged what the real truth was including the bracha that you will be the master over your brother which Esau declared you have and you deserve and this will lead also eventually to the bitter, to the refinement of Esau, which will happen when Mashiach comes. Until I will come to my master, which is what Yaakov said to Esau, to Seir, which when did that happen? That is only going to, that never happened yet. That will happen when Mashiach comes. But that will happen when they, in the time of Mashiach, they will go up to the to the mountain of Esav, the Hoysel Hashem Amlucha, and over there Hashem will be the pr- supreme king. In other words, even Esav, the whole world will recognize that, and that will be the ultimate refinement of Esav.